Chapter Fifteen of the Guilty River. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barbara Dirksen. The Guilty River by Wilkie Collins. Chapter Fifteen. The Miller's Hospitality. On the way to Toller's cottage, my fears for Crystal weighed heavily on my mind. That the man who had tried to poison me was capable of committing any other outrage, provided he saw a prospect of escaping with impunity, no sane person could hesitate to conclude. But the cause of my alarm was not to be traced to this conviction. It was a doubt that made me tremble. After what I had myself seen, and what Gloody had told me, could I hope to match my penetration, or the penetration of any person about me, whom I could trust, against the fathomless cunning, the satanic wickedness of the villain who was still an inmate with Crystal, under her father's roof? I have spoken of his fathomless cunning and his satanic wickedness. The manner in which the crime had been prepared and carried out would justify stronger expressions still. Such was the deliberate opinion of the lawyer whom I privately consulted under circumstances still to be related. Let us arrive at a just appreciation of the dangerous scoundrel whom we have to deal with, this gentleman said. His preliminary experiment with the dog, his resolution to make suspicion an impossibility by drinking from the same tea which he had made ready for you, his skilled preparation of an antidote, the colour of which might court appearances by imitating water, are there many poisoners clever enough to provide themselves beforehand with such a defence as this? How are you to set the circumstances in their true light on your side? You may say that you threw out the calculations, on which he had relied for securing his own safety, by drinking his second dose of the antidote while he was out of the room, and you can appeal to the fainting fits from which you and he suffered on the same evening as a proof that the action of the poison was partially successful, in your case and in his, because you and he were insufficiently protected by half-doses only of the antidote. A bench of Jesuits would understand these refinements. A bench of British magistrates would look at each other and say, "'Where is the medical evidence?' "'No, Mr. Roylake, we must wait. "'You can't even turn him out of the cottage "'before he has had the customary notice to quit. "'The one thing to take care of, "'in case some other suspicions of ours "'turn out to be well-founded, "'is that our man shall not give us the slip. "'One of my clerks and one of your gamekeepers "'shall keep watch on his lodgings, "'turn and turn about, till his time is up. "'Go where he may after that, "'he shall not escape us.' I may now take up the chain of events again. On reaching Toller's cottage, I was distressed, but hardly surprised, to hear that Crystal, exhausted after a wakeful night, still kept her bed, in the hope of getting some sleep. I was so anxious to know if she was at rest, that her father went upstairs to look at her. I followed him, and saw Ponto watching on the mat outside her door. Did this indicate a wise distrust of the cur? "'A guardian I can trust, sir,' the old man whispered, "'while I'm at the mill.' "'He looked into Crystal's room "'and permitted me to look over his shoulder. 
my poor darling was peacefully asleep judging by the miller's manner which was cool and composed as usual i gathered that crystal had wisely kept him in ignorance of what had happened on the previous evening the inquiry which i had next in my mind was forestalled by old toller our deaf devil mr gerard has done a thing this morning which puzzles me he began and i should like to hear what you think of it for the first time since we have had him here he has opened his door to a visitor and what a surprise for you it's the other devil with the hat and feather who got at my christie and made her cry that this meeting would be only too likely to happen in due course of time i had never doubted that it had happened now confirmed in my resolution to keep guard over crystal at the cottage till the cur left it i asked of course how those two enemies of mine had first seen each other she was just going to knock at our door mr gerard when she happened to look up there he was airing himself at his window as usual do you think she was too much staggered at the sight of him to speak at any rate he got the start of her wait till i come down says he and there he was almost as soon as he said it they went into his place together and for the best part of an hour they were in each other's company every man has his failings i don't deny that i'm a little inquisitive by nature between ourselves i got under the window and listened at a great disadvantage i needn't tell you for she was obliged to write what she had to say but he talked i was too late for the cream of it i only heard him wish her good-bye if your ladyship telegraphs this morning says he when will the man come to me now what do you say to that more than i have time to say now mr toller can you find me a messenger to take a note to trimley dean we have no messengers in this lonesome place sir very well then i must take my own message you will see me again as soon as i can get back mr toller's ready curiosity was roused in a moment perhaps you have a wish to look at the repairs he suggested in his most insinuating manner i wish to see what her ladyship's telegram brings forth i said and mean to be here when the man arrives my venerable tenant was delighted turn him inside out sir and get it as secrets i'll help you returning to trimley dean i ordered the pony chaise to be got ready and a small portmanteau to be packed speaking in the hall the sound of my voice brought mrs roylake out of the morning-room she was followed by lady rachel if i could only have heard their private conference i should have seen the dangerous side of the cur's character under a new aspect gerard cried my stepmother what did i hear just now you can't be going back to germany certainly not i answered going to stay with some friends perhaps lady rachel suggested i wonder whether i know them it was spitefully done but in respect of tone and manner done to perfection the pony chaise drew up at the door this was another of the rare occasions in my life on which i acted discreetly it was necessary for me to say something i said good morning nothing had happened at the cottage during the interval of my absence clever as he was old toller had never suspected that i would return to him with luggage in the character of a self-invited guest 
his jaw dropped and his wicked little eyes appealed to the sky merciful providence what have i done to deserve this there as i read him was the thought in the miller's mind expressed in my best english have you got a spare bed in the house i asked mr toller forgot the respect due to the person who could stop the repairs at a moment's notice he answered in the tone of a man who had been grossly insulted no but for the anxieties that oppressed me i should have only perceived the humorous side of old toller's outbreak of temper he had chosen his time badly and he got a serious reply understand this i said either you receive me civilly or you make up your mind to find a flour-mill on some other property than mine this had its effect the miller's servility more than equalled his insolence with profuse apologies he offered me his own bedroom i preferred a large old-fashioned armchair which stood in a corner of the kitchen listening in a state of profound bewilderment longing to put inquisitive questions and afraid to do so toller silently appealed to my compassion i had nothing to conceal i mentioned my motive without intending it i had wounded him in one of his most tender places the place occupied by his good opinion of himself he said with sulky submission much obliged mr gerard my girl is safe under my protection leave it to me sir leave it to me i had just reminded old toller of his age and of the infirmities which age brings with it when his daughter pale and languid with signs of recent tears in her eyes entered the kitchen when i approached her she trembled and drew back apparently designing to leave the room her father stopped her mr gerard has something to tell you he said i'm off to the mill he took up his hat and left us submitting sadly she let me take her in my arms and try to cheer her but when i alluded to what i owed to her admirable devotion and courage she entreated me to be silent don't bring it all back she cried shuddering at the remembrances which i had awakened father said you had something to tell me what is it i repeated in language more gentle and more considerate what i had already said to her father she took my hand and kissed it gratefully you have your mother's face and your mother's heart she said you are always good you are never selfish but it mustn't be how can i let you suffer the discomfort of staying here indeed i am in no danger you are alarming yourself without a cause how can you be sure of that i asked she looked reluctantly at the door of communication must i speak of him only to tell me i pleaded whether you have seen him since last night she had both seen him and heard from him on reaching home he opened that door she told me and threw on the floor one of the leaves out of his book after doing that he relieved me from the sight of him show me the leaf crystal father has got it i thought he was asleep in the armchair he snatched it out of my hand it isn't worth reading she turned pale nevertheless when she replied in those terms i could see that i was disturbing her when i asked if she remembered what the cur had written but our position was far too serious to be trifled with i suppose he threatened you i said trying to lead her on 
What did he say? He said, if any attempt was made to remove me out of his reach, after what had happened that evening, my father would find him on the watch day and night, and would regret it to the end of his life. The wretch thinks me cruel enough to have told my father of the horrors we went through. You know that he has dismissed his poor old servant. Was I wrong in advising Gloody to go to you? You were quite right. He is at my house, and I should like to keep him at Trimley Dean. But I am afraid he and the other servants might not get on well together. Will you let him come here? She spoke earnestly, reminding me that I had thought it wrong to leave her father at his age without someone to help him. If an accident separated me from him, she went on, he would be left alone in this wretched place. What accident are you thinking of? I asked. Is there something going on, Crystal, that I don't know of? Had I startled her, or had I offended her? Can we tell what may or may not happen to us in the time to come? she asked abruptly. I don't like to think of my father being left without a creature to take care of him. Gloody is so good and so true, and they always get on well together. If you have nothing better in view for him? My dear, I have nothing half so good in view, and Gloody, I am sure, will think so too. I privately resolved to ensure a favorable reception for the poor fellow by making him the miller's partner. Banknotes in Toller's pocket. What a place reserved for Gloody in Toller's estimation. But I confess that Crystal's allusion to a possible accident rather oppressed my mind, situated as we were at that time. What we talked of next has slipped from my memory. I only recollect that she made an excuse to go back to her room, and that nothing I could say or do availed to restore her customary cheerfulness. As the twilight was beginning to fade, we heard the sound of a carriage. The new man had arrived in a fly from the station. Before bedtime he made his appearance in the kitchen, to receive the domestic instructions of which a stranger stood in need. A quiet man, and a civil man. Even my prejudiced examination could discover nothing in him that looked suspicious. I saw a well-trained servant, and I saw nothing more. Old Toller made a last attempt to persuade me that it was not worth a gentleman's while to accept his hospitality, and found me immovable. I was equally obstinate when Crystal asked leave to make up a bed for me in the counting-house at the mill. With the purpose that I had in view, if I accepted her proposal, I might as well have been at Trimley Dean. Left alone, I placed the armchair and another chair for my feet, across the door of communication. That done, I examined a little door behind the stairs, used, I believe, for domestic purposes, which opened on a narrow pathway running along the river side of the house. It was properly locked. I have only to add that nothing happened during the night. The next day showed no alteration for the better in Crystal. She made an excuse when I proposed to take her out with me for a walk. Her father's business kept him away from the cottage, and thus gave me many opportunities of speaking to her in private. I was so uneasy, or so reckless, I hardly know which, that I no longer left it to be merely inferred that I had resolved to propose marriage to her. 
"'My sweet girl, you are so wretched and so unlike yourself in this place, "'that I entreat you to leave it. "'Come with me to London, and let me make you safe and happy as my wife.' "'Oh, Mr. Roylake!' "'Why do you call me Mr. Roylake? "'Have I done anything to offend you? "'There seems to be some estrangement between us. "'Do you believe that I love you?' "'I wish I could doubt it,' she answered. "'Why?' "'You know why. "'Crystal, have I made some dreadful mistake? "'The truth, I want the truth. "'Do you love me?' "'A low cry of misery burst from her. "'Was she mastered by love or by despair?' She threw herself against my breast. I kissed her. She murmured, Oh, don't tempt me, don't tempt me. Again and again I kissed her. Ah, I broke out in the ecstasy of my sense of relief. I know that you love me now. Yes, she said simply and sadly, I do love you. My selfish passion asked for more even than this. Prove it by being my wife, I answered. She put me back from her, firmly and gently. I will prove it, Gerard, by not letting you disgrace yourself. With those horrible words put into her mouth, beyond all doubt by the woman who had interfered between us, she left me. The long hours of the day passed, I saw her no more. People who are unable to imagine what I suffered are not the people to whom I now address myself. After all the years that have passed, after age and contact with the world have hardened me, it is still a trial to my self-control to look back to that day. Events I can remember with composure. To events, therefore, let me return. No communication of any sort reached us from the cur. Towards evening I saw him pacing up and down on the road before the cottage and speaking to his new servant. The man, listening attentively, had the master's book of leaves in his hand, and wrote in it from time to time as replies were wanted from him. He was probably receiving instructions. The cur's discretion was a bad sign. I should have felt more at ease if he had tried to annoy Crystal, or to insult me. Towards bedtime, old Toller's sense of hospitality exhibited marked improvement. He was honoured and happy to have me under his poor roof, a roof, by the way, which was also in need of repairs, but he protested against my encountering the needless hardship of sleeping in a chair, when a bed could be set up for me in the counting-house. "'Not what you're used to, Mr. Gerard, empty barrels and samples of flour and account-books smelling strong of leather, instead of velvet curtains and painted ceilings, but better than a chair, sir, better than a chair.' I was as obstinate as ever, with thanks I insisted on the chair. Feverish, anxious, oppressed in my breathing, with nerves unstrung, as a doctor would have put it, I disturbed the order of the household towards twelve o'clock, by interfering with old Toller in the act of locking up the house-door. "'Let me get a breath of fresh air,' I said to him, "'or there will be no sleep for me to-night.' He opened the door with a resignation to circumstances, so exemplary that it claimed some return. I promised to be back in a quarter of an hour. Old Toller stifled a yawn. "'I call that truly considerate,' he said, and stifled another yawn, dear old man. Stepping into the road, I first examined the cur's part of the cottage. 
not a sound was audible inside not a creature was visible outside the usual dim light was burning behind the window that looked out on the road nothing absolutely nothing that was suspicious could i either hear or see i walked on by what we call the upper bank of the river leading from the village of kailam the night was cloudy and close now the moonlight reaching the earth at intervals now again it was veiled in darkness the trees at this part of the wood so encroached on the bank of the stream as considerably to narrow and darken the path seeing a possibility of walking into the river if i went on much further i turned back again in the more open direction of kailam and kept on briskly as i reckon for about five minutes more i had just stopped to look at my watch when i saw something dark floating towards me urged by the slow current of the river as it came nearer i thought i recognized the mill-boat it was one of the dark intervals when the moon was overcast i was sufficiently interested to follow the boat on the chance that a return of the moonlight might show me who could possibly be in it after no very long interval the yellow light for which i was waiting poured through the lifting clouds the mill-boat beyond all doubt and nobody in it the empty inside of the boat was perfectly visible to me even if i had felt inclined to do so it would have been useless to jump into the water and swim to the boat there were no oars in it and therefore no means of taking it back to the mill the one thing i could do was to run to old toller and tell him that his boat was adrift on my way to the cottage i thought i heard a sound like the shutting of a door i was probably mistaken in expectation of my return the door was secured by the latch only and the miller looking out of his bedroom window said don't forget to lock it sir the key's inside i followed my instructions and ascended the stairs surprised to hear me in that part of the house he came out on the landing in his nightgown what is it he asked nothing very serious i said the boat's adrift i suppose it will run on shore somewhere it will do that mr gerard everybody along the river knows the boat he held up his lean trembling hand old fingers don't always tie fast knots he went back into his bed it was opposite the window and the window being at the side of the old cottage looked out on the great open space above the river when the moonlight appeared it shone straight into his eyes i offered to pull down the blind thank you kindly sir please to let it be i wake often in the night and i like to see the heavens when i open my eyes something touched me behind it was the dog like his noble and beautiful race ponto knew his friends he licked my hand and then he walked out through the bedroom door instead of taking his usual place on the mat before crystal's room he smelt for a moment under the door whined softly and walked up and down the landing what's the matter with the dog i asked restless to-night said old toller dogs are restless sometimes lie down he called through the doorway the dog obeyed but only for a moment he whined at the door again and then once more he walked up and down the landing i went to the bedside the old man was just going to sleep i shook him by the shoulder there's something wrong i said come out and look at ponto he grumbled but he came out better get the whip he said 
"'Before you do that,' I answered, "'knock at your daughter's door.' "'And wake her?' he asked in amazement. "'I knocked at the door myself. "'There was no reply. "'I knocked again with the same result. "'Open the door,' I said, "'or I will do it myself.' "'He obeyed me. "'The room was empty, "'and the bed had not been slept in. "'Standing helpless on the threshold of the door, "'I looked into the empty room, "'hearing nothing but my heart thumping heavily, "'seeing nothing but the bed with the clothes on it undisturbed. "'The sudden growling of the dog shook me back, "'if I may say so, into the possession of myself. "'He was looking through the balusters that guarded the landing. "'The head of a man appeared, slowly ascending the stairs. "'Acting mechanically, I held the dog back. "'Thinking mechanically, I waited for the man.' The face of the new servant showed itself. The dog frightened him. He spoke in tones that trembled, standing still on the stairs. "'My master has sent me, sir,' a voice below interrupted him. "'Come back,' I heard the cur say. "'I'll do it myself, Toller. Where is Toller?' The enraged dog, barking furiously, struggled to get away from me. I dragged him, the good, honest creature who was incapable of concealments and treacheries, into his master's room. In the moment before I closed the door again, I saw Toller down on his knees with his arms laid helplessly on the window-sill, staring up at the sky as if he had gone mad. There was no time for questions. I drove poor Ponto back into the room and shut the door. On the landing, I found myself face to face with the cur. "'You,' he said. I lifted my hand. The servant ran between us. "'For God's sakes, control yourself, sir. We mean no harm. It's only to tell Mr. Toller that his boat is missing.' "'Mr. Toller knows it already,' I said. "'No honest man would touch your master if he could help it. I warn him to go.' and I make him understand me by a sign. I pointed down the stairs, and turned my head to look at him. He was no longer before me. His face, hideously distorted by rage and terror, showed itself at the door of Crystal's empty room. He rushed out on me. His voice rose to the detestable screech which I had heard once already. "'Where have you hidden her? Give her back to me, or you die!' He drew a pistol out of the breast pocket of his coat. I seized the weapon by the barrel and snatched it away from him. As the charge exploded harmlessly between us, I struck him on the head with the butt end of the pistol. He dropped on the landing. The door of Toller's room opened behind me. He stood speechless. The report of the pistol had terrified him. In the instant when I looked at the old man, I saw, through the window of his room, a rocket soar into the sky, from behind the promontory between us and Kailam. Some cry of surprise must, I supposed, have escaped me. Toller suddenly looked round towards the window, just as the last fiery particles of the rocket were floating slowly downwards against the black clouds. I had barely time enough to see this before a trembling hand was laid on my shoulder from behind. The servant, white with terror, pointed to his master. "'Have you killed him?' the man said. The same question must have been in the mind of the dog. 
he was quiet now doubtfully reluctantly he was smelling at the prostrate human creature i knelt down and put my hand on the wretch's heart ponto finding us both on a level together gave me the dog's kiss i returned the caress with my free hand the servant saw me with my attention divided in this way between the animal and the man damn it sir he burst out indignantly isn't a christian of more importance than a dog a christian but i was in no humour to waste words are you strong enough to carry him to his own side of the house i asked i won't touch him if he's dead he is not dead take him away all this time my mind was preoccupied by the extraordinary appearance of the rocket rising from the neighbourhood of a lonely little village between midnight and one in the morning how i connected that mysterious signal with a possibility of tracing crystal it is useless to inquire that was the thought in me when i led my lost darling's father back to his room without stopping to explain myself i reminded him that the cottage was quiet again and told him to wait my return in the kitchen i overtook the servant and his burden the door of communication by which they had entered was still open lock that door i said lock it yourself he answered i'll have nothing to do with this business he passed through the doorway and along the passage and ascended his master's stairs it struck me directly that the man had suggested a sure way of protecting toller during my absence the miller's own door was already secured i took the key so as to be able to let myself in again then passed through the door of communication fastened it and put the key in my pocket the third door by which the cur entered his lodgings was of course at my disposal i had just closed it when i discovered that i had a companion ponto had followed me i felt at once that the dog's superior powers of divination might be of use on such an errand as mine was we set out together for kailam wildly hurried without any fixed idea in my mind i ran to kailam for the greater part of the way it was now very dark on a sandy creek below the village i came in contact with something solid enough to hurt me for the moment it was the stranded boat a smoker generally has matches about him helped by my little short-lived lights i examined the interior of the boat there was absolutely nothing in it but a strip of old tarpaulin used as i guessed to protect the boat or something that it carried in rainy weather the village population had long since been in bed silence and darkness mercilessly defied me to discover anything for a while i waited encouraging the dog to circle round me and exercise his sense of smell any suspicious person or object he would have certainly discovered nothing not even the fallen stick of the rocket rewarded our patience determined to leave nothing untried i groped rather than found my way to the village alehouse and succeeded at last in rousing the landlord he hailed me from the window naturally enough in no friendly voice i called out my name within my own little limits it was the name of a celebrated person 
the landlord opened his door directly eager to answer my questions if he could do it nothing in the least out of the common way had happened at kylam no strangers had been seen in or near the place the stranded boat had not been discovered and the crashing flight of the rocket into the air had failed to disturb the soundly sleeping villagers on my melancholy way back fatigue of body and far worse fatigue of mind forced me to take a few minutes rest the dimly flowing river was at my feet the river on which i had seen crystal again for the first time since we were children thus far the dreadful loss of her had been a calamity held away from me in some degree by events which had imperatively taken possession of my mind in the darkness and the stillness the misery of having lost her was free to crush me my head dropped on the neck of the dog nestling close at my side oh ponto i said to him she's gone nobody could see me nobody could despise me i burst out crying End of chapter 15 Recording by Barbara Dirksen